0: If we can help somebody as we pass along If we can cheer somebody with a word or song If we can show somebody he is traveling wrong Then my living Shall not be in vain. If we can help somebody as we pass along, then our living shall not be in vain. Welcome to this episode of uh, Notes with John. With the Babel from Bonn. To begin with tonight, we thought we'd continue our little effort to give a shout out to either children or grandchildren. Bonnie? And tonight we wanted to shout out for little india who is six she's in kindergarten and this past week she fell on the asphalt and which took a big chunk out of her face poor little thing she was pretty brave but she's doing much better now and we just love her and are so grateful that she's better but we wanted to talk about her as far as being a little helper Last week, after dinner, uh, we, their mother Julie invited the, her kids, the older ones, to assist and help us in cleaning up and doing some of the dishes, etc. And um, boy, to little India's credit, here she is, five years old, six. six years old, and she, she goes right to the task, asking what she can do and does it cheerfully and didn't complain or mope or whine or anything. She just got right in helping. And uh, uh, Julie, her mother, said to me, "She she's always like that. She always wants to be able to be helpful, and she does it happily without complaint or otherwise. Anyway, way to go, India. We love you. We sure do. At the conclusion of our last episode, I was sharing with you my feelings about uh, uh, having my leg amputated, my concerns, and fact that I was afraid, I was so discouraged and sad, and all the negative feelings that I I was feeling about that. And I wanted to um, pick up from there today and kind of complete that side of this part of my, uh, my life. Uh, I would like to say as I begin this, though, to mention that uh, during that time in the hospital and just before the hospital, and uh, uh, I, I was just so grateful for the careful attention from my mother and my oldest brother, Ed. <clears throat> they were both by my bedside in the hospital. They did all they could to try to encourage me and to cheer me up and to talk about other things. And I just thought that was uh, so good of them. You would expect it from your mother, of course, but I—I I thought it was so great for my brother to come up from California and to spend uh, several days here with his younger brother and in uh, the time of this circumstance. So thanks, Mom and Ed. It was uh, very important to me, but I—I. I, I remember those first uh, those days in the hospital i I don't recall very well because i was I was kept uh, under heavy medication but I do remember at one point in time uh, the surgeon uh, came into my room and i i at least was coherent enough to tell him that I was concerned I knew enough about cancer to know that it's uh Serious and it could be a major problem and would he please? uh, Be honest with me and tell me what my prognosis is and uh, He basically uh, you know again reminded me that because I'm the factors uh, that I was male that I was the agent that I am or was at the time the uh, um, the circumstances in and around the incision uh, the results from the pathology tests and all those things just uh, did not bode well for me, and it told me that I really didn't. He didn't expect me to have uh, um, that much longer to live. I, I remember at the in that that conversation, I was just so shocked. I I, I could hardly believe what he was telling me. I, because I just mom and dad ever since you I'm a little boy you've told me that if I do all these things right that God will bless my life that he will protect me that he will guide and direct me give me answers to my prayers that uh, all of these good things will happen if I do what's right now I didn't always do what's right I, I, but I tried and I was a good boy I didn't do some of the things some of my buddies were doing um But I felt, I felt betrayed. I felt, why should I believe in all this church stuff? Why should I have this element of faith that uh, I hear so much about? And for a period of time, I went into my own um, dark abyss spiritually. Or in essence, I had kind of convinced myself that uh, um, that the our church was not true, that God uh, may or may not even be there, and that uh, if he did, if he was, he certainly wasn't very fair. And I, I was in a dark place. Uh, When uh, amputees uh, become amputees, you you know that happens because somebody, is a doctor, has cut off uh, something, and in my case, my left leg, above the knee. And that means that these amputees are going to be left with what we call phantom pains. And my phantom pains initially were really hard. And the phantom pain was primarily this cramp in the a ball of my missing left foot that was, <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but that's how it was. And if you've ever had a cramp in the ball of your foot, you know what I'm talking about. I remember my mom would rub my right foot to try to help give me some relief from this cramp in my missing left foot. And that sound weird, but it would help. And, uh, but that pain was, was so um, hard and so pervasive that it really clouded my thinking, clouded my judgment. Um, anyway, it was a, it was a difficult time until I could get from medication shot to shot uh, to get some relief from it. Finally, after a week, I, I was sent home uh, to begin the recovery. I might say that they did try a a fairly uh, new kind of uh, procedure on me that they were trying on on amputees in vietnam which was going on at the same time and that is that right in the surgery once they amputate the leg they would then uh, put a, a plaster cast on the stump of the leg and so that uh, within 48 hours you could uh, in theory get the amputee up on a, a metal um, prosthetic leg that would have a foot at the bottom and there would be a screw that you would uh, screw this metal leg onto the cast that had been placed on you in the surgery room. That's what they did with me and I'm really thankful for that procedure because at least it gave me an ability to, even though it was terribly painful, to start getting up out of the the hospital bed, and with the help of crutches and, and other people, starting to try to learn how to walk, even though um, the uh, the pain was still significant. Uh, once I got home, i I'd, I'd been I'd been home for oh I don't know two or three weeks, three or four weeks perhaps, and. I just remember I was just so, um, again, I was just so sad about all of this. I just could hardly believe it was happening. I was um, cheered by some friends and other people that would come by and and, uh, say hello and express their well wishes, and that was very nice, and I was grateful for that, but uh, I will admit for a period of uh, nearly a month, I was, uh, I was struggling and I began to, I, I, well, I remember one, one morning I woke up and it's as if someone had turned off my phantom pain and I was left with this little, what I continue to have today is this tingling sensation in the bottom of my left now missing foot but that was a whole lot easier to deal with than this hard cramping that I was experiencing before. It was so much better. And and I think actually I could finally begin to think clearly without the pain clouding my uh, thought processes. And I kind of thought, you know, if I die and there is no God, you know, really what difference does it make? I'm 19 years old, I'm single, I, if I die, what difference does it make in the world? It doesn't make any difference. I, I know mom will cry at my funeral and my family will be sad and my brothers will carry my casket and, and then they'll go play football or something after. But the reality is if I die and there is no God, what difference does it make in the world? And I concluded it doesn't make any difference. However, if I die and there is a God, uh, I could be in some trouble i i i I thought to myself, t- "Wow, how do I present myself if God really does live? How do I present myself to him, standing there now, and you know they don't cut off the spirit leg, so I'm standing in front of him in my full spirit body, and he says to me, well, John, what happened? What what am I going to say? Well, you made me mad. Or, well, it wasn't fair. or." And then I could, in my mind, I could hear Heavenly Father saying, well, John, mine only begotten Son went through more than you'll ever dream of going through. He didn't turn his back on me. Why did you? And I have no answer. And really that was the the impetus for me at that point in time, for the first time in my whole life, all 19 years worth, having grown up in this very active, strong uh, Latter-day Saint home, asking in my prayer, Heavenly Father, art thou there? I have to know. And I offered that prayer over and over and over, day after day and week after week for an extended period of time and into the months. I prayed about some other things along the way, but that was the main focus. I needed to know if God was really there because if I really was gonna die, And, you know, within a short period of time, I needed to know. And um, I I didn't hear any bells. I didn't see any lights or any flashes or anything like that. But I've compared our Father in Heaven's answer to me to that of the, uh, you know, like a, a a light you know, a light switch on the wall that's one, it's a dimmer switch and you can turn that dimmer switch either brighter or dimmer and it controls the, the, the brightness of a light. So in my, if you could have seen the light of my life uh, uh, described as a little light bulb, you could have looked at the light bulb in, of my life and you could see it had gone out, it was dark. But as I asked in all sincerity, really wanting to know if Heavenly Father really lives, as I asked that over and over, it's as if Heavenly Father began to turn that dimmer switch slowly but continuously until this light globe began to... um, you, you could begin to see uh, some light in the filament in that bulb of my life. And the more I asked and the longer I asked and the more sincere I was, it, it, the more he continued to turn that dial and the my filament started getting brighter and the light bulb starts getting brighter and brighter and brighter over an extended period of time such that after oh, I don't know, after a period of several months, I could honestly kneel down on my knee and tell Heavenly Father I knew He lived. I knew that Jesus Christ was His Son. I knew that He loved me and that He cared for me. I knew that not because my mom and dad told me, not because my priest quorum advisor told me, or a seminary teacher, or my bishop, or anybody else. I knew now personally because Heavenly Father let me know in my heart and in my mind. I've been so grateful for that witness and knowledge that He lives, that His Son is our Savior and Redeemer, because it has become the, the very foundation of my whole being. And now, as I continue to kneel night and day and express my love to our Heavenly Father and for His Son how grateful I am to to be alive. I just love life. I know it's got all kinds of challenges and issues and difficulties, and we all have them. I I know that. But I feel so blessed to um, have this opportunity to live life to its fullest. For the first uh, several, for the first six months, uh, or the the first... uh, couple of years, I should say, after my amputation, I would go in to see the doctor about every six months. And um, he'd say, hey, you're doing pretty good. You've got, after the first year, you've got 20% chance of, of uh, living a full life. And after, uh, after two years, it was 40% chance. And then after five years, I was told I was no more prone to cancer than anyone else and again this this sense of gratitude in my life for heavenly father giving me what i considered to be a second chance to be more anxiously engaged to not just kind of sit on the sidelines to and be content just to sort of watch things go by but to be anxiously engaged in in what life Really should be all about. Another challenging part of uh, this whole early experience, uh, following my amputation, was uh, trying to learn to walk again, with a uh, you know a more permanent prosthesis. Once I got out of the hospital and uh, was grateful for these, uh, this company, the Intermountain Limb Brace, that was so good to me and helping to uh, fit me with a a new prosthetic limb and teaching me how to walk with it and how to, you know, at what points and times I could put more weight on that leg as much as I could tolerate because of uh, my my incision that was still trying to heal at the bottom of my stump. By the way, I've never liked the term stump. I just sort of don't like the word. It's just so... um, I just don't like it. So I've never really referred to my leg as a stump. I've usually just referred to it as my left leg. My wife often just referred to it as my little leg, but I you know, I know it's a stump, but I've never really liked that word. Um, it's just kind of a harsh reminder of the reality. Um, while I was uh, um, recovering at home, and, uh, you know, I, of course, used crutches to get around most of the time for the first uh, f- couple of months. And then per- and periodically I would put on this prosthetic limb and, uh, w- and walk with crutches to the extent that I was able. And then as my, as my uh, leg healed, the incision healed, I could start using this prosthetic limb a little more uh, and a little more over time as I could put more and more weight uh, upon the end of my leg and not have it just excruciatingly painful. But I had to learn this whole uh, whole new concept of walking and throwing my left leg out kind of in front of me so that I, the heel would catch the ground. And then I pull my hip forward so that I can walk over my, my heel on, onto the toe. And then my right foot comes forward and then I can I pull up for the next step, and it was a challenging process. I had to learn how to be able to go downstairs in the correct manner so that you get your you, the the uh, heel of that uh, that prosthetic foot right on the edge of the step, so that you can then ride over the heel down to the next step. If you get too far back, it you know, you can stumble and fall. If you get the heel too far forward, it can slide off the end of the the stair and uh, you can fall. Anyway, it took me a a period of time to learn that. I used to... um, It was now summertime in 1967 when I would walk up and down uh, part of our block on Browning Avenue in Salt Lake City where we lived. Uh, I'd walk part of the way with crutches and then and part of the way trying to just do it without crutches and um but i used to do that a lot and it really helped me to learn you know how to how to walk again and let me tell you that's just a another whole aspect of life that is it's just so hard to comprehend that you when you think that gosh i'm never going to walk again normally i'm I'm always gonna walk with a limp. I it was just so hard for me to accept that. It's honestly to tell you the truth, it's hard for me still to accept that. I know at times, even today that I walk with a limp and usually it's when I'm a little bit tired or um, or if I may have a little bit of a sore somewhere, but uh, most of the time i can I can walk fairly um, um, cleanly without a limp, but sometimes I do. And I, I just, I never wanted to be able to be, have be someone who people would look at because now they've, they're limping or there's something wrong with their gait as they, as they walk backward or forward or sideways or whatever. Um, I had to come to grips with the reality that anytime I would go swimming or, uh, you know, go to uh, the lake to go water skiing or uh, any water sports that I'd always be doing it uh, without my leg. And that's going to call attention um, to me. Uh, And I understand that. Other people just have a tendency out of curiosity to look when they see an amputee or they see that something's not quite right i i do that myself but i tell you i've become very aware of people's eyes and where they look um, often as i'm passing people and they if i'm if i'm having a little bit of a limp i know and i know i'm limping you can just see their eyes as they they scan your leg to see what's wrong and especially is that true when I'm either in a swimming pool um, or, uh, again, I'm at a lake uh, to go water skiing or, or anywhere in that type of environment where I don't have my leg on, if I'm just on a beach, for instance, um, and it just causes people to, to look, especially little kids, and they, they will do it so innocently but it is such a curiosity for them. One day, this several years ago, but we were coming back from Lake Powell on a little family vacation. And we had stopped at uh, oh a, a milkshake place uh, in Hanksville, Utah um, to get some gas and, and, and liked this uh, little burger stand. And as I, I, I just had on some some shorts and you could see uh, my prosthetic limb. And this little boy, he could not have been more than six or seven years old. He was maybe 10, 15 yards away from me and he, he apparently saw me because I heard him yell loud enough that it caused me to turn around and see him. And he, he said, pointing, Mom, look. That is so awesome!" as he was pointing at my prosthetic limb. I got such a uh, laugh out of that, just at at how fascinated he was. It's certainly not new to me, because my own grandchildren, my own children, had all been fascinated with my leg as they came to realize that something was wrong, something was different with Dad or with Grandpa. Uh, than their own leg. And it's been a, an interesting whole experience of my life in, in teaching my children and my grandchildren about my leg, about what happened, and, um, and that even though we have some challenges and issues that come across our lives, we still got to do the very best we can no matter what. And that's, that's in, in essence, my outlook to do the very best we can, no matter what. Then my living shall not be in vain. Then my living shall not be in vain. If we can help somebody as we pass along, then our living shall not be in vain. Until next time on Notes from John. With a babble from Bonn.